the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we'll find us pouring water over several people's heads. Why? One answer is tradition. Like kissing under mistletoe, wearing beads at Mardi Gras. Something gets started and it sticks. Mardi Gras is nouveau. I do not know when kisses under mistletoe got started. But pouring water over people's heads is a very old tradition, going all the way back to Jesus in the Jordan River. He was baptized and instructed us to do the same. I hope we can appreciate that here we are part of something that is ancient and enduring. Since Christians began baptizing, empires have fallen and new worlds have been discovered. Time rolls on and it seems that everything about the way that human beings live has changed. But not this. From the days of chariots to the days of hoverboards, we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Ask me for a definition of a Christian, I'll say it's someone who has been baptized. How is that important? One answer is identity. Think of all the identities that we claim. Arkansan, African-American, Republican or Democrat, Kappa Kappa Gamma, Sigma Nu. We choose some of our identities. Others are bestowed by birth, accident, and some are of someone else's doing. Christian identity has been like that, someone else's doing, through generations, but less so lately. Some of our identities we wear lightly, while others become crucial to our sense of who we are. Christian identity runs strong in some. Episcopalians often wear it lightly. In our social set, baptism does not inspire the ferocity of, for example, Rush Week. Around that font, we see smiles and chuckles rather than ecstatic screams or anguished tears. Nor is Christian identity typically as strongly felt as racial sexual, or national identity right now, at least not here in the United States. Flags stir more emotions than the cross. Why? I suspect it has to do with evolution. Some of our identities are fed by natural instincts that have been tuned to our survival. There is safety in them. And so we're drawn to them like moths are drawn to firelight. There's no shame in that. Our drive to survive is a natural appetite, God-given, according to Thomas Aquinas. Its ferocity is helpful, mostly. 
But a church guided only by our natural appetites has lost its way. Going back to Jesus, this water comes with instructions, and the instructions decouple baptism from instinct and those more passionate identities that it fuels. We are not baptized white or black, gay or straight, S-A-E or Kappa Sig. Baptism reaches upwards to a truth over and above those intense commitments. That is what St. Paul said in a famous passage in the letter to the Galatians. He said, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Baptism raises our sights. Its water bestows an identity forged from a truth that our instincts may not recognize nor necessarily appreciate. There are many such truths that our instincts do not recognize nor necessarily appreciate under heaven. Instinct doesn't know, for example, that the earth revolves around the sun. Nor does instinct see the human rights enshrined in the Constitution of the United States. Like baptism, our American tradition lifts us higher than our natural appetites. Let's stop and think on that for a moment. Instincts are jealous. Our Constitution puts a bridle on them. Then the instincts buck and try to throw the bit. We've seen that throughout U.S. history, and I think lately in the Donald Trump phenomenon and in the Black Lives Matter campus uprisings in New England and Missouri. The American house instinctively divides against itself, and it makes for loud meetings and ugly pictures. Things for our country could be much worse. They were worse when I was a teenager 40 years ago and dragging in on Sunday mornings here to Acolyte. Those were the days of George Wallace and rioting in Watts and Newark. Walker Percy was writing his novel, Love in the Ruins, The Adventures of a Bad Catholic at a Time Near the End of the World. He told his good friend Shelby Foote that he was working on a novel about the goodness of God and an America rent almost hopelessly between the rural knothead right and the godless alienated left, worse than the Civil War. The novel opens on July 4th, and it begins like this. Now in these dread latter days of the old violent beloved USA and of the Christ-forgetting Christ-haunted Western world. I came to myself in a grove of young pines, and the question came to me, has it happened at last? Is it that God has at last removed his blessing from the USA? And what we feel now is just the clank of the old historical machinery, the sudden jerking ahead of the roller coaster cars as the chain catches hold and carries us back into history with its ordinary catastrophes, carries us up 
and out and up towards the brink from that felicitous and privileged siding where even unbelievers admitted that if it was not God who blessed the USA, then at least some great good luck had befallen us and that now that blessing or that luck is over. The machinery clanks, the chain catches hold, and the cars jerk forward. History's answer to that question 50 years ago was no. The blessing wasn't over. As the next half century unfolded, it it turned out that reports of the United States' demise were premature. As the Soviet Union collapsed, we found our feet. Thank God for the Constitution which tempers our tantrums and holds our house together under pressures from within. Percy's novel ends with mass at Christmas. Children shooting fireworks play outside. Hooray for Jesus Christ, they cry. Hurrah for the United States. America raises us above our instinct. Baptism wants to take us even higher. It speaks to the truth above the Constitution. That sounds slightly seditious. It should not. That there is a higher truth above the Constitution is a fact the Constitution authors confidently believed. In the Declaration of Independence, they said that truth was self-evident. I wouldn't go that far. I think we need faith to see it. From the well of this faith, we draw upon the Spirit who comes to us as joy and hope in our convictions and in whom we find the courage and the wisdom to address the challenges before us. Thus, Christian faith has fueled the American experiment. Baptism is our entrance to the realm that we can depend on. We cannot rely on nature or on history. Our natural realm is vulnerable and changing. Historically, we've used technology to shield shield ourselves against the changes. But technology has side effects that can compound the problems. We find, for example, that the fuel we use to keep us cool in summer has made our planet warmer. History is rife with trade-offs and dilemmas. Baptism anoints us stewards of the natural world and history. It makes caring for this world a calling. We minister as citizens of a higher kingdom. The kingdom of God, the Bible calls it, older than the universe. When our lesser identities, black, white, left, right, Chi Omega, Tri Delt, have long since faded into nothing. Our identity as children of this larger realm endures. We say the mark of baptism is indelible. That means it cannot be forgotten or erased. Baptism is forever. According to the prayer book, in the water of baptism, we are buried with Christ in his death. 
By it, we share in his resurrection. We are cleansed from sin and born again into the risen life of Christ our Savior. Notice the revision of the natural order. Birth, life, death is natural. Death, birth, life is our entrance into the larger kingdom. It is Christ's death and not our own that gets us started. His death, his death is his gift to us. It was a kind of death we hear about in stories where a hero stays true to her friends or some noble purpose, come what may. Harry Potter gave himself up to the evil Voldemort. Real-life nuns in Memphis stayed in town through a yellow fever epidemic and succumbed to the disease. Soldiers by the thousands gave up their lives at Normandy so that we might have freedom. Christ's death is like those, self-sacrificial. It was not that Jesus wanted to be arrested, flogged, and crucified. It was that he found himself where that would be the cost of faithfulness. He turned his life over to a greater good. His cross is more to us than an example. It was an epiphany, a revelation. About those other noble stories, Harry Potter, nuns in Memphis, soldiers on the beach, we now know that they are of God. And being drawn to them for hope and inspiration, we are being drawn to God. Those children loving Harry Potter are more Christian than they realize. From Christ's epiphany, we learn that our own self-sacrifices, large or small, are not in vain. They are signs and expressions of a realm of unconquerable beauty. Candidates for baptism will please come forward.